Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. And what that means to the church, and basically the idea that if we don't talk about it, the only place we're going to learn about it is from the world. And we want to know what God's word has to say about it and how we should view it. And um, one of the ways that we did that was not just looking at the do's and don'ts and you shouldn't do this and this is bad, but understanding what sex actually is and that it's a gift from God and that it was something that was meant to be enjoyed and that was meant for a husband and wife and that God provided it to us as a gift, but in the proper parameters. But we know that that when sin entered the world, that there's many ways that sex has been taken and it's been perverted and it's been um, seeked out in many different ways that are not of God. So I'm going to read my scripture that I started with last time. And that's 1 John 2:15, And it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So before we get started tonight, Pastor, would you take us to prayer, please? Amen. And if you are interested in going back and learning more, we talked a lot about pornography. We talked a lot about how sexual sin has infiltrated the church. That podcast is up. You can access it um, through HipCast or iTunes through the church podcast if that's of interest to you. And also I have a bunch of um, my handbooks that are created called Sex in the Church. And if you want one of those, I have those. If anyone wants one, I'll gladly hand those out tonight. Um, Last time we talked about physical effects and how sexual sin is not a respecter of person. And anybody willing to engage in this type of behavior, men, women, teens, children, it'll gladly devour because that's what sin does. And pornography is proven to have a lot of long-lasting damaging effects. It damages people emotionally, spiritually, it even affects our brain, which we talked about last time. And it's become to the point where sex has come to a place in our world where it's no longer about intimacy, but it's become an opportunity for pleasure and release, and that's it. Many things you might hear, one night stand, prostitution, the viewing of pornography, masturbation, all these things is about pleasure. It's about release. It's not about intimacy. It's not about being vulnerable with another person. So tonight we're going to start off by talking about some of the emotional effects of sexual sin, sexual addiction. Those things can include pornography. It can include masturbation. It can also include things like adultery and fornication, which I told you last time. Adultery is when you have sex outside your marriage. Fornication is where you have sex prior to your marriage. So that's the difference there in case anybody didn't know. And so while there were a lot of different types of sexual sin, People that engage in them have a lot of similar underlying characteristics and symptoms. A lot of times, people who engage in sexual sin have a really low self-esteem. They have a really poor self-image, and many times deal with a lot of shame. Because for the most part, sexual sins are secret sins. 
They're not things that people see. They're not evident to the natural eye. It may not be something you know about someone. Typically, sexual sins are secret sins, and so with it comes a lot of shame. So there's four core beliefs that people have most of the time when they are dealing with sexual sin. One is, and a lot of times this is because this is how the enemy talks to them and tells them. They think, I'm a bad person. I'm a worthless person. They have a really low self-esteem. Number two, they have the idea, no one takes care of my needs but me. Number three, they think, no one will love me if they really know me. That prevents intimacy and vulnerability with another person. And number four, through the escalation of involving in sexual sin, they come to the belief that their greatest need is sex. And although that's a false belief, it's still what they believe. And so they have this self-loathing in themselves, and it really deepens their shame to the point that the weight becomes really unbearable. And what happens is a cycle because they feel shamed. They've done something they're ashamed of whether it's, you know, they engaged in some type of a relationship that was not of God, they went outside their marriage, they looked at pornography, they had a sexual encounter, they had a one-night stand. And so there's this shame that comes with it after the fact. And at times it can become unbearable, and at times it can be even amplified through stress in their life and different things like that to the point that they feel like, I need an escape, I need an escape. And so what do they turn to? They go back to the sexual activity that caused them the shame in the first place. And they get a temporary high, they get a relief, but when this is finished, again, it causes more shame. And then what happens, the cycle repeats. And it's a vicious cycle to the point that it's just like an addict who's addicted to drugs and they feel trapped. Because of that point of shame, I'm done with that, I don't wanna do that anymore. Why did I do that? Why do I wanna go back to that? But they get to the point feeling so shamed and they feel the point that I need a release, I need an escape, that that becomes the way they cope and it just becomes a cycle. And so a lot of people, they'll hide those feelings. People around them may be clueless. Because for the most part, you could look around this room, look around your school, look around your workplace, and you would not know if there was someone in your midst dealing with sexual sin, someone who was addicted to pornography, someone who was having an affair, things like that. You would not know for the most part because they'll put on a false persona to those around them. And I can tell you that that is absolutely especially true in the church because of the fear of judgment, fear of rejection, fear of the loss of position or criticism. And so people in the church feel like they can't talk about what they're struggling with, and so they cover it up. And so then that creates exhaustion, emotional baggage, because, and what that ends up meaning is, there's a lot of people that have hidden a lot of sexual sins, whether currently or in their past, and then that means there's a lot of hurting people, doesn't it? A lot of hurting people in our church. We want to talk about it. We want to pull back the curtain. We want to pull back and show that there is hope and that there is healing and that God does forgive and that God can bring wholeness. So let's talk about the spiritual effects now. We know that scripture tells us that any sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 and 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Because what happens is we can't have a close, intimate relationship with our Savior while we still have sin in our life. Because the Bible tells us he's a jealous God. He's not going to share our heart. He's not going to share the throne of our heart with someone else. And we can't serve two masters. If we're still harboring sin in our life, we can't get close to God because that's a wall that's there that keeps us from getting close to him. 
1 John 1 and 6 tells us, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So if we're trying to serve God, but we still have sin in our life, then we're not truly walking according to his truth. So when Christians engage in any type of sexual immorality, this is important. The object of our, of our affection, the thing that we worship, the thing that we love, the object of our affection, is we are no longer a God worshiper, but we change it and we become a self-pleaser. That's what sexual sin does. This type of self-centeredness is what drives that wedge between our relationship with God. Because no longer is it, God, I want to please you with my life. God, I want what you want for me. It's, what can I do to make me feel good? What can I do that's going to bring pleasure to me? And that's what sexual sin does. It makes us feel good for a time. So we must realize that sex outside of God's plan, it's only about finding what pleases us. Because the enemy has taken something that was meant to be a beautiful gift and perverted it into something that was never intended to be. Sex was never meant to be explored through pornography, adultery, fornication, prostitution, masturbation, homosexuality. All these things are perversions of the way God meant sex to be. And when a taste is developed for sexual sin, they will consume that person. It will become like an addict that has to have their next high, their next fix. It becomes what they're obsessed with. It becomes what they're fixated on, whether it's something they're seeing, whether it's a person. Whatever that is, it takes the place. It, it becomes the throne. It becomes what sits on the throne of their life. It starts to getting to the point in a Christian's life, it impacts their prayer life. It impacts their worship to the point that it drowns out God's voice. And at that moment in time, all they can hear is the lies and the accusations of the enemy of our soul, which we know is the devil. Lies like, you should do this. You deserve this. This is going to make you feel better. No one's going to get hurt. It's not a big deal. You need to take care of yourself first. These are the type of lies. These are the things he's whispering in their ear. And then when the action is done, then he comes right behind it, the one that said, do it, do it, do it. Then he starts pointing the same finger in ways of accusation. You're so shameful. You're so terrible. You're such a bad person. God doesn't love you. You've gone too far. You can't be forgiven. Everyone's going to judge you. He starts throwing accusations till shame, shame, condemnation. And there is a difference. Something to understand tonight is that condemnation does not come from God. Condemnation tells us you're a low down, no good, rotten sinner, and there's no hope for you, so you might as well give up. That doesn't come from God. What does come from God is conviction. Conviction says where you are at and what you're doing is wrong, but I am here to help pick you up and forgive you and dust you off and help take you to someplace better. Conviction brings hope. Condemnation says there is no hope. That's the difference. And so this cycle just gets so vicious, it's so great, and it's just repeated over and over. And we can't talk about sexual sin without talking about how it is so destructive to marriage. Many times there may be an addiction that comes to light, pornography, as I mentioned, adultery, different things, and there's feelings of things like betrayal, loss, anger, disgust may even surface. Intimacy becomes lost because trust is destroyed. Bitterness may set in, resentment, anger. And it's an uphill battle for marriages and for the church because we live in a society that says, it's okay. Do whatever you feel like. Do whatever makes you feel good. No limits. Whatever you want to do, you do because it's okay. 
This is about you and what makes you feel good. That's what the world says. The world says no limits, do whatever. You, all you got to do is look at the laws that have been created, the things that now are allowed in our world that 50 years ago we would not have had to deal with. Is that not true? There are many couples that could tell you that is a lie that pornography is no big deal, that masturbation is no big deal, that having an affair is no big deal. They'll tell you that is a lie because so many people feel trapped in their sin and then their spouses, they feel that same sense of helplessness and they are overwhelmed. Now you could go out to a counselor in the world, even a secular counselor, and they're gonna say, eh, just get divorced, find somebody else. That's what they would say. Separate. And you know, it may help with sobriety, but it's not gonna help heal the marriage. And God wants strong marriages. And just as a little side note, we live in a society, too, where people think it's going to strengthen the marriage and make the sex life stronger if you watch pornography together. You know, if, if, my, if my spouse says it's okay and we do it together, then it's okay. That could, that's a lie. The two people may even walk in here and say, we've done it and it's okay. But I'm telling you, you're opening the door to so many problems because guys who are visual, they're going to get hooked and want more. The wife... She's going to start looking at images on that screen, and she's going to start having to deal with poor self-esteem, and, and do I measure up, and how do I compare to what's on that screen? It creates problems. It doesn't help the marriage. When continued, it can ultimately destroy it. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 28, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now, this scripture, we know that in the Old Testament, they were told they were not to lie with their neighbor's wife. They were not to commit adultery. But Jesus took it further and said, if a man looks at a woman and he lusts after her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. He might as well went and laid with her because it's the same. It's the same sin. So if someone looks upon pornography, they're looking after someone to lust after them in their heart. And that's a sin. And they've committed adultery in God's eyes. So we must understand that looking in that pornography masturbating to those images, those videos. You might as well have just had sex with that person because in the eyes of God, it's the sin of adultery. And I know we're talking about some things again tonight that are uncomfortable, things that we don't normally address, but we've got to get our hearts right. We've got to make sure that we're holy because I was listening to some preaching at a church camp that was online this week. Folks, God's coming soon, and I want to be ready. And so our job is to be a bride that is without spot or wrinkle, white as snow, it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of strength to rebuild a marriage relationship when it's been impacted by sexual sin. But it only works when both spouses are committed to stay in the relationship and overcome the problems together. It's not enough if only one wants to stay. They can have a desire for that marriage to work all day long, but both parties have to be willing to come in with humbleness, forgiveness, repentance to come back to that place of trust and wholeness. So let me just take a moment, a little side note, and I want to just give a little word to the women. All the women say amen. Amen. So it's a myth, as I said last week, that sexual immorality is only a problem for men. As the statistics we talked about last week prove, it's affecting women more than ever before. There's prolifer the proliferation of things like Fifty Shades of Grey. It was a book. They turned it into a movie, went on to make more movies. Movies like Magic Mike, things that are promoted and were advertised to the women. 
to the women. Started out as a book, turned it into a movie. And we're finding that women are also falling into sexual immorality at an alarming rate. So we have to maintain sexual integrity, ladies. This is not just about the guys. We have a responsibility as well. If we're married, our responsibility, Dr. Etheridge says, is we have to connect physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually in all ways, not just some, with our husband and no other man outside of our marriage. If we're a wife sitting here tonight, we have to put up a guard against temptation in our life. Etheridge described it this way. If you're in a rough neighborhood and you're sitting in your car, what do you do? Typically, you're in a rough neighborhood, maybe some shady characters walking around. What's the first thing you're going to do? Lock your doors. That's right. Are you going to leave a window down? No, because what's the point of locking your doors if your windows are down, right? doesn't make any sense. You lock all of them. Etheridge says that's what we have to do as wives, ladies. We have to protect ourselves. Etheridge posed a question in the book Every Woman's Battle, which is excellent. I highly recommend it. And this can help us determine, ladies, whether we're married or single, if our behavior is appropriate. First question, is it prohibited in Scripture? The Scripture speak against it. That's a good way to know. Number two, is it beneficial? Because some things may be permissible, but it may not be beneficial. I've heard pastors say that many times. Is it going to help your marriage or is it going to hurt your marriage? Number three, does it involve anyone else? Because women, especially wives, one of the ways we have to guard ourselves against sexual immorality is by guarding our speech, guarding the things we say. Psalms 141 and 3 says, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. A woman can be unfaithful to her husband without being intimate with another man. How does this happen? Flirting, saying suggestive things, innuendos, complaining about her husband to another person, another man, or even it could be in the church involving herself too closely in ministering to another man. That's why most of the time you'll see around here women praying with women and men praying with men just because it helps maintain an appropriate boundary so that things are not done inappropriately. We have to watch what we say, the conversations we have. Words are powerful and have an effect on people. The Bible even tells us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So we have to ask ourselves, ladies, would God and my husband be okay with the things I'm saying? The same question be asked, would God and my husband be okay with the things I'm doing, with the things I'm reading, with what I'm watching? And if God or our husband wouldn't be pleased, we should really stop immediately because we're not benefiting our relationship with God and we're not benefiting our relationship with our husband. We must also guard our bodies. There is a reason that God ordained modesty for humanity. I want to share a story with you that I found pretty awesome. I'm just going to pull it up here because I just want to read it to you. Muhammad Ali his daughters came to his house, and he noticed that one of his daughters was dressed somewhat inappropriately. Let me just read it to you. An incident transpired when Muhammad Ali's daughters arrived at his home wearing clothes that were quite revealing. Here's the story as told by one of his daughters. When we finally arrived, my father took a good look at us. Then he sat me down and said something I will never forget. He looked me straight in the eyes and said, Hannah, Everything that God made valuable in the world is covered and hard to get to. Where do you find diamonds? Deep down in the ground, covered and protected. 
Where do you find pearls? Deep down at the bottom of the ocean, covered up and protected in a beautiful shell. Where do you find gold? Way down in the mine, covered over with layers and layers of rock. You've got to work hard to get to them. He looked at me with serious eyes. Your body is sacred. You're far more precious than diamonds and pearls, and you should be covered too. Ladies, you are precious to God, and what you have is valuable. We should have guys, people that's going to end up, the man that's going to be our husband should be the one that sees our body. It shouldn't be on display. Modesty is a must for sexual integrity in a lady because our delight's in our husband, and if we're not married, our delight is in God and pleasing him. So we're careful not to put ourselves in compromising situations. It's the same reason why, for example, that you'll find that a pastor won't meet with a woman alone. Why? Because that's a compromising situation. The Bible says don't let your good be evil spoken of. doesn't mean that anything has to happen, but the very appearance of evil or the appearance of something happening where accusations could be made is why that you practice safety. So as ladies, we clothe ourselves in modesty and we reserve our bodies for our husbands alone. Other men shouldn't be allowed to see our bodies. They haven't done anything to deserve that. My husband, I married him. He committed to me for a lifetime, said I do, said he'd be with me in sickness and health, and 20 years later, he still is. He has a right to my body. Nobody else does. It's for our husband's eyes only. So the decisions we make, ladies, is either preparing ourselves for when we are married or serving God if we don't ever get married, keeping ourselves pure before him, or keeping our marriage strong and pure and intact. Proverbs tells us to the woman, who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. We must make a daily choice to live right, ladies. So now let's talk about recovery and healing. Let's say sexual sin has occurred. Whether married, whether single, there is hope. So many Christians have suffered with sexual sins in silence. They're full of shame, and they can't accept the grace and the forgiveness that's set before them. Galatians 6 and 1 tells us this as a church. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. This is not a time when we look down our nose at our brother or our sister with a holier-than-thou attitude, we minister the grace of God to them with a spirit of meekness because the same thing that happened to them, we're not, we're not exempt from being tempted, are we? Absolutely not. Jesus went to the cross so that we could have forgiveness of sins and live a life that's free of condemnation. And he paid the price for all sin, not just some, but all, and that includes sexual sin. Consider the following scriptures in regards to someone who has repented of sexual immorality. And I'm just going to run through these real quick. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 3, 23, 24, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. What beautiful promises those are from God's word, that if we come before him and we've repented and we've asked forgiveness, the old things are passed away. We're new. 
The issue is, as humans, we remember our past mistakes. We know where we screwed up. We can't forget. And if there's people in our life that have done those things and it's hurt us, we can't forget them. But what we do have is the promise that God looks down, and when he's offered forgiveness and washed us and covered us with his blood, he doesn't see it. It's like a chalkboard that all that's been erased, and he sees a blank slate. He sees his righteousness. Now, the devil, he tries to convince us otherwise. He tries to tell us, you're, you're not redeemable. You're evil. You can't recover. You can't get well. You're always going to be this way. You can never change. But that is a lie because the Bible tells us that Satan is the father of lies. There's no truth in him. So if he says something, if his mouth is open and moving, you can guarantee whatever he's saying is a lie. It's not true. So we know that God's grace, Pastor talked to us a little bit about this, it's not an excuse to sin freely and willfully. But it is an assurance that when we fall, we know that he will forgive us and help us up again. How many remember the song that Denny Livingston wrote that said, Let the healing begin. Let your living water flood my thirsty soul. Let your anointing flow, mending the pain of where I've been. Most addicts find healing when they've hit rock bottom and they have nowhere else to go. Is the journey easy? Absolutely not. It's a hard, rough road. A lot of times the road down to sin is slick and slippery and you slide down, but the climb back up the top as you're climbing up is hard. It's challenging to get back, but it's worth it and it's possible. And a lot of times people who have fallen into sexual sin they find relief even if they're standing at the bottom looking up at where they got to go. For them, there's a sense of peace just knowing there is hope for them. And the thoughts they have had haven't been true. Dr. Lasser, who has helped a lot of people and a lot of men through sexual sin, he himself overcame an addiction to pornography for many years. He has a recovery program now. He's written many books. He's traveled. He speaks. And he uses three questions in his recovery program to help people overcome sexual addiction. The first question he asked is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Because it takes a desire. This helps the addict overcome pride and admit, yes, I need help. If they admit that they want to get well, it shows a willingness to do whatever's necessary. It helps them to focus not just on stopping the unhealthy behavior, but understanding that I'm going to start some new habits so that I can become healthier, both in my mind and in my spirit. Number two, the second question that is asked is, what are you thirsty for? Well, that's an interesting question, isn't it? What are you thirsty for? The problem is that with sexual sin is that things like porn and times of self-pleasuring are never enough. There's always a thirst for more. It never ends. Lasser says, he was really thirsty for God, and sex does not quench spiritual thirst. Sometimes when you're thirsty, water is the only thing that can quench that thirst, and nothing else will do. And there's times that people are searching for something to quench their thirst, not realizing the only thing that can actually quench that thirst is God. All the pleasures of this world will never satisfy us like that living water that comes from our relationship with Jesus. And number three... He asks, are you willing to die to yourself? The addict must change their thoughts and behavior and turn from a life of selfish behavior to one of selflessness. That is easier said than done. 
Because when there has been a habit and a lifestyle created, when it's all about me, it's all about pleasure in me, it's all about finding what makes me feel good, if suddenly that changes, and suddenly I have to start saying, what can I do that's going to please God? If I'm married, what's going to please my wife? Those things that change, what can I do to please my spouse? They have to actually move consciously, purposely, thinking in their mind, I have to move to a place of dying out to myself. As we've heard the scripture talk about, we've got to crucify the flesh. We have to die out to the world, and it's a deliberate choice. It doesn't happen by accident. It's not waking up one day and deciding, okay, I'm done with this. I'm ready to move on. No, it means you have to crucify the flesh. It is painful. It is difficult. But healing and restoration is absolutely possible for the person who has been engaged in that type of behavior. Even scripture tells us, Isaiah 61 and 3 tells us, God will give beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness. If you're sitting in this room tonight and you're secretly battling sexual sin, and listen, a church is made up of people, and people have problems. So it's no surprise that people are going to walk into the church house. And it's not just people coming off the street that don't know God. There's people that have come into church and been in church a lot of years that struggle with sexual sin, with lust, with pornography. Know that there is hope for you. God doesn't want you to stay trapped and bound by this sin. Sexual sin cannot be conquered alone, but help is available. Now we're going to stop right here for a moment. Brother McBroom, I'm going to ask you to pause the recording. Okay. Gilkerson said, freedom begins when I stop trying to be at the center and let God be at the center. It begins when I stop serving myself and start loving other people. At our core, our desire should be to live to worship and please God with our lives. So that means we have to root out any and all sin. We have to put it away from us. Jesus was so adamant about fleeing from sexual sin that right after his statement about not lusting after a woman, he said this in Matthew 5, 29. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. In other words, he was saying, if your right eye, if you can't stop looking at something, it'd be better for you to pluck that eye out and go to heaven saved, missing an eye, than to keep that eye, keep on sinning, and your whole body go to hell. If we can't live purely and holy before God and have a cell phone, we need to throw it out. If we can't live holy before God and be on social media, we need to get off social media. We have to make sure that we put the boundaries in place that are going to help us live a holy and upright life before God. In other words, do whatever it takes to overcome this sin in our lives. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but with the temptation also make a way of an escape. Anytime temptation comes our way, we have a way to escape the temptation. The issue is when we don't want to escape the temptation. The issue is when we're not willing to do what it takes to step away from something that's going to lead us down the wrong road. If we walk after the Spirit, He gives us the strength and fortitude to choose righteousness over darkness, to take every thought captive, to flee lust. Job said this. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation in Job 31.1. 1. 
He said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust at a young woman. He made a covenant with his eyes. I will not. How does that happen? I look away. I turn it off. I don't open it. So let's talk about accountability. When it comes to sexual sins, no man is an island unto himself. He can't recover alone. And that's why accountability is about fellowship. Typically, someone who is not willing to be accountable to another person is truly not interested in healing and recovery. When they've made the choice, I don't want to be accountable to somebody, they're usually not interested in healing. Dr. Lasser created the seven principles of accountability, and he based it on the first six chapters of Nehemiah. And I love this. I don't have time to read the first six chapters of Nehemiah, okay? So let me take a moment and give you a summary. Nehemiah received word that Jerusalem had been destroyed, and the Jews coming out of exile are in really bad shape. And Nehemiah is torn up and devastated that Jerusalem is in ruins, okay? He mourns, he weeps, and eventually, though, he devises a plan to rebuild the walls to protect the city and his people from the enemy. So we're going to look at a plan for accountability through the eyes of this story, okay? And I'm not, I don't have the scriptures up there, so I'm just reading a few different ones, and I'm choosing to take these scriptures, and I'm reading them from the Message Bible because I love how it describes them. So we first learn in the first chapter of Nehemiah that the wall of Jerusalem is still rubble. The city gates are still cinders. When I heard this, Nehemiah said, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Number one, number one principle of accountability. There must be a time of humility, brokenness, confession, and repentance. The person who has been involved in sexual sin must be able to understand their weakness and the damage from their sin. Number two, get honest about feelings. This is not a time to suppress feelings of anger, anxiety, times of temptation. Because many times as someone's going through the road of recovery and accountability, when there's things going on at their job that's more stressful, when they've maybe had an argument with their spouse or something has happened at home, if they suppress their feelings, it's going to be a lot easier for them to run back to the sin they were involved in. So they got to talk about it. They got to talk about when they're dealing with those things. Typically, if the person that is recovering from sexual sin, a lot of times will reach out to that person in their life that is their accountability partner. Sometimes the accountability partner is the one that's reaching and calling them and asking them the hard questions. How was your day? How was your week? Have you looked at anything? Have you been involved in anything? Have you done this? Have you done that? But on the flip side of it, the person that is recovering and that's truly willing to change will call and say, I'm having a really bad day. I'm struggling today. Can you help pray for me? Can you help talk me through this? This is what's been going on in my life. This is what the stress I've been dealing with today. And I really don't want to go back to where I was. I need some help. And so when they begin to be open and honest about their healing, they will truly start to recover. So Nehemiah, where he was, he was with the king. He entered the king's presence, and the king noticed that he had a sad countenance, that he had a long face. And so the king noticed this, and he said, what's wrong? What's, what's going on with you? Well, Nehemiah didn't do the, I'm fine. I'm fine, king. No problem. It's good. I'm good. No. Nehemiah begin to share the plight of his city. He began to talk about the destruction that had occurred and how can I have joy? How can I be happy when my city is in, in shambles? 
So he was, he was honest about his feelings and why he was sad. Number three, he says, Dr. Lash says, find the army. Find the army. The person involved in sexual sin needs to be surrounded by support in order to be victorious. Okay? No man is an island. I don't know of anybody recovered from sexual sin that did it alone. There was somebody else involved that helped them through it. This can be found through support groups, the pastoral staff of the church, small groups. The point is you need to have someone in your life that you can trust with your innermost thoughts and feelings, but who will also ask the hard questions when necessary. That's the type of person you need. You don't need someone that's just going to pat you on the back. It's okay. I know you didn't meet. They need, you need someone to say, what you did was wrong. We're going forward. You need to have someone that you can trust, but you can, that's going to give you support, but that will also challenge you. Okay? A soldier is not made ready for battle by coddling, is he? How is a soldier made ready for battle? They're put through some rigorous training, aren't they? They're put through some hard stuff. They're put through some hard tests to ready themselves for battle. He becomes challenged and conditioned so that he can become healthy, so he can become strong. He's put in different scenarios to figure out what would you do if you was put in this situation and it's trial runs so that when they get in the midst of the real battle, they're not trying to figure out what am I going to do. They know what to do because they've had that training, they've had that knowledge, they've had that work. And that's what someone going through this is doing. Nehemiah in chapter 2, he gathered a group that was willing to rebuild the city and repair the damage, even in the face of adversity. Because let me tell you, when they started rebuilding the city, they had a lot of adversity. Number four, start rebuilding and get rid of the garbage. For an addict or someone involved in sexual sin to be successful, a complete clean-out needs to occur. In other words, it could mean that computer hard drives have to be replaced, cell phones need to be reset, Secret email accounts need to be deleted. Unhealthy conversations in chat rooms need to be cut off. Trashy romance novels need to be thrown out. It could even include, and you may say, well, it's not pornography, but if you got movies rated PG-13, rated R, and it's for nudity and sexual encounters and all that, they need to go too. They need to be chucked out. And not only the physical things, but the emotional garbage as well. Because there is no place in a Christian's life who has been forgiven. There's no place for condemnation, for shame, for guilt. That's overcome through our testimony and through Jesus Christ. Nehemiah and his crew started rebuilding the wall. And in the process of building up the wall, they were getting rid of the broken down pieces. Nehemiah 4.6 says, we kept at it, repairing and rebuilding the wall the whole wall was soon joined together and halfway to its intended height because the people had a heart for the work. I love the way it says that. They kept at it. It wasn't easy, but they kept at it. Number five, and this is a big one, prepare for the attack. In the early stages of recovery, the addict or the person in sexual sin, they're going to need daily contact with people in his or her accountability group to help with the battle taking place in their mind. Because I'm telling you, whether it's pornography, an adulterous relationship, fornicate, whatever it is, that initial stage when the, throw, the phone is thrown out, the, the emails are cut off, man, they may not be physically engaged, but their mind is going every which way. And so they have to stay diligent to guard their mind and thoughts 
Because if they begin to relax just after a few days, few weeks, Satan's going to attack again and he's going to try to tempt them back into their old habits because he'll start speaking to their mind. In Nehemiah's day, when the enemies around them started hearing that Nehemiah was rebuilding the wall, the Bible says they were furious. And I'm telling you, when you begin to overcome sexual sin and you begin to live pure and upright, you're going to make the devil mad, really mad. So the Bible says in Nehemiah 4, 8, and 9 from the Message Bible, they, which is the enemy that was around them, decided to fight against Jerusalem and create as much trouble as they could. We countered with prayer to our God and set around-the-clock guard against them. So while they started building the wall, they weren't just working on rebuilding. But at that moment, they said, no, we can't just focus on rebuilding the wall because while we're doing that, we're exposed behind here to enemy attacks. So they set guards up around the wall while the work was going on to keep an eye out for the enemy, to watch and make sure that no one was going to come in and destroy the work that they were doing. That's what has to happen when recovery is being made from sexual sin. It's not enough just to rebuild the marriage. It's not enough just to rebuild the relationship with God. You've got to be wise. You've got to be wise. Harmless as doves, but wise as serpents. You've got to keep an eye watching because the enemy He's sneaky, he's manipulative, and he'll try to come in and destroy what you're rebuilding. Number six, so spend half your time defending and half your time building. One of the enemies of an addict or someone in sexual sin is boredom because it's easy to get distracted and pulled into temptation when there's too much time just being idle and doing nothing. So you got to get motivated to build, go forward, do things with the family, find a hobby. You have to be engaged with people around you. You can't pull yourself into a shell and just let your mind go. You've got to get involved. Nehemiah 4.13 in the Message Bible says, So I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall. Verse 15 continues, And we went back to the wall and went to work. So you find the places in your life where you're vulnerable. And that's where you set your guards. That's where you bring in your accountability. That's where you bring in your support group. That's where you bring in your spouse and say, this is where I feel vulnerable. And it can be something very innocent and something very simple. Um, just to give an example, my husband and I both have Facebook. If I get a friend request from a guy I don't know and I don't share friends with and it's some single guy, I say, honey, I'm letting you know, I got this friend request and I'm deleting it. He does the same thing because how many of you have gotten friend requests, people you don't know, they profile pic, they're half-dressed, they, you know, and he's gotten them from women and he'll say, babe, this came on my phone and it came up as a friend request and I'm just showing it to you and I'm deleting it. Just something so simple. But you know what? That could be a vulnerable spot and we do that for protection. That's setting an armed guard at vulnerable areas because it keeps safety, it keeps protection, it keeps you secure, it keeps trust. Number seven, in order to be victorious, purpose to do whatever is necessary, no matter how much it costs or how long it takes. It can take a while, folks. Sometimes journeying back from sexual sin, it's not an overnight thing. Very rarely is it an overnight success and recovery. Just like a drug addict or an alcoholic must always be diligent and aware of their weaknesses. You know, a drug addict, one of the best ways they can protect themselves is not to go back around their friends that still do drugs. 
one of the ways an alcoholic can protect themselves is to go and make sure that they're not walking into a place maybe for them they can't go into a place that serves alcohol it's just whatever you have to do for yourself someone that has had an addiction to pornography and renting adult movies or even just renting an R-rated movie that's inappropriate they may not be able to go walk into a family video and rent a movie for their kids because they just can't go in there you just find what you got to do to keep yourself safe okay and at the end of the day we can do everything we can do but we still live in a sex saturated world driving down the highway there's billboards you know I'm gonna talk next week about protecting your family You're saying all this is you know wow's for me you know but how do I protect my kids from this I'm gonna tell you how to take care of protecting your TV your internet your phones there are apps there are programs there are things for your mo there are things out there and I'm gonna share all those things with you so you know how you can go home and make sure that your family is protected okay you have to constantly be on guard I've said I, I've had this discussion with some other moms we have the safety nets set on our modem we have safety nets on our phones we have things set up on our TV but you know there's gonna come a day when my son's gonna walk into high school and there be some other guy that walks up to him and says, hey, Trevor, look at this. And boom, it's in his face before he can look away. That's why it's not enough just to put the physical constraints in place. We have to teach our children what is right. We have to teach our kids, this is appropriate, this is not appropriate. You've got to look away. This isn't pleasing to God. I remember distinctly one night we were watching TV. This has been a few years ago. And we just had it on the thing where we was trying to figure out what to watch. And you know how on TV now, if you're trying to figure out what to watch, up in the corner of the screen, it still has the little whatever channel you were on playing. And it was just commercials, um, which commercials don't even get me going there. I mean, you all know there's a lot of commercials. You don't even That's why DVR is so great. You can just fast forward through all of them. Um, but at this moment in time, we, had the, we was looking for something, and a Victoria's Secret commercial came on, which may as well be... A porn magazine for the type of things that you're seeing in front of you and Trevor had walked in the room and he looked up and he's like <gasps> and he ran over like this and put his hand up and covered that part of the screen he goes no we can't see that I was like yes God let him always keep that in his heart and in his mind that that is not appropriate to look upon and it just comes down to what are we teaching our kids what do they see us watch? What do they see us look at? What do they see us read? What type of movies do they see us bring home? We have got to be careful. So after the wall was rebuilt, the gates were installed, Nehemiah gave this order. Don't open the gates of Jerusalem until the sun is up and shut and bar the gates while the guards are still on duty. He even ordered guards to set up posts in front of their own homes. So even though the rebuilding was complete, they didn't let their guard down. Even when the addict or the sexual sin has been conquered, moved past, it's in the past, and going forward, there's still always that level of, I'm still going to be cautious. I still recognize where there has been weaknesses in my life. Even as Holy Ghost-filled Christians, we can't get to the point of being lackadaisical and apathetic and think that sexual sin won't try to creep into our lives because we all know that the devil wants to destroy us I mean tells us the thief cometh not but to steal to kill and to destroy that's his ultimate goal so it's kind of like we're all walking around with targets on our back pretty much and he doesn't care how he does it because he doesn't play fair 
No one is immune from falling prey to sexual immorality. That goes all the way from someone that's sitting on a pew to the person that leads the church or the organization, to the youth leader, to the pastor, to a wife, to a teenager, to a choir member, a church leader, it doesn't matter. We all have a target on our back. So if you're sitting in here and you're like, wow, that's been me, I've struggled with sexual sin. Tonight's a good night to repent and start the recovery process. Maybe you've tried over and over and over to become victorious, only to fail time and time again. Here's the thing, folks, you can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. When it comes to sexual sin, you've got to have help. You need someone that's going to be your accountability person. Reach out to your pastor. If you're a guy, reach out to pastor. Reach out to someone you can talk to. If you're a lady and you need help, I'm here to help. Get accountability in your life. If you'll stand with me tonight, pastor, will you help me out? Maybe you're just someone that you haven't delved all the way into sexual sin, but you've kind of flirted around with the world and played with fire. Now's the time to cut it off and start fresh. Or maybe you're standing here and you're saying, Sister McGee, this hasn't really affected me yet. But here's the thing. Maybe you're not the person that has delved into sexual sin, but I'm sure there's a lot of you that have been the victim or witness to it. Maybe you were raised in a home and you had a dad addicted to pornography. Maybe you've had a spouse. Maybe you've had a cousin or a brother or other people that have had that in their life and it's affected you. It's hurt you and how they treated you. We need to ask God to help us to God to protect our mind, to protect our heart because ultimately we want to be pure. We want to be holy. And here I was, I was asking God to help me tonight, kind of how to close this session tonight. And here's what I'd like to do. If you're married, I want you to find your spouse. I want you to come up to the front hand in hand. I want you to ask God to help your marriage. If you're single, take the hand of someone with you, someone next to you if it's appropriate. Come forward with that person. Pray for them. Encourage them. Support them. Let's ask God tonight to help us to be everything that he wants us to be. Let's ask God to help us to be pure and holy. Ask God to heal our marriages, to heal our homes, to be holy, to let us to set nothing wicked before our eyes that would keep our conversation pure. God, I pray tonight in this room that you would move from the front to the back. I pray, God, that you would move in our Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.